Welcome. Today, we are going to finish out the book of John. And so this has been a long journey. Goodness gracious, I, this is not the way I thought 2020 would go. Uh, I thought we would have been done with John a long time ago. Uh, we started this at the beginning of the year, and here it is August, right? We're already eight-twelfths of the way through the year. Today, we will finish out the, the Gospel of John. I just, like I always do, like to uh, recap where we're at with, with this whole journey. Now, we have special guests, and you know I didn't want them to miss out. So we have a timeline and a map today, uh, <coughs> so they can see just how bad it is. Um, but it's, you're so sweet. <laughs> you. She's here. That's right. That's right. Good. You get your money later. Uh, so, so it's always good to think about what our timeline is. And like I like to say, humans, myself included, are very, it's very hard for us to understand time. We understand the moment. We're really good at that. When we're thinking of the future, the distant past, it all just becomes a blur. When are we talking here? We're talking 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years, that's 10 times as long as the United States has been uh, its own independent country. <clears throat> so I'm drawing this timeline, starting in 1 AD, there is no zero, going to 100 AD. This is the period in which Jesus lived. This is the period in which we think all of the canonical books and letters of the New Testament were written. Jesus probably born around 4 BC, 4, I thought it was 1 or 0, no, it turns out that in going back over time, the calendar as it was reckoned in the past had to be reconfigured a little bit, it is thought now that Jesus, it was off by 4 years, Jesus probably born somewhere around 4 BC, <coughs> you're like, he was born 4 years before Christ, okay, it's weird, uh, Somewhere around 33, due to the clues that we have from the authors in the New Testament writing the Gospels based on the people who were in charge and the events happening, we think that Jesus' ministry was somewhere around 30 to 33 AD. Okay? So his ministry, we think, lasted maybe three, four years based on the number of Passovers mentioned in the, in the Gospels. So it's a short ministry. Um, and... and, and you know, really, I like to impress upon the fact that Jesus really didn't travel a whole lot. He didn't travel the world. He certainly didn't travel near as much as the Apostle Paul did. Here's my map of what we call, this is the modern country of Israel. It's also called Palestine. The Romans called it Palestine after the name of the Philistines. So that's why we call this region Palestine. So it's the synonymous, essentially. Here we have Jerusalem the capital of Judea, which is a province. You could think of it like a state today. <clears throat> the Dead Sea. This is the Jordan River. This is the region of Samaria. So these are people who have an ancestral and, and somewhat religious connection to the Jews of Judea, but it's also different, and there's a lot of animosity here. We have this region even farther north called Galilee. This is where Jesus is from. This is where all of the 12 disciples except for Judas Iscariot are from. Judas is from Idumea. Idumea is down here. This is, incidentally, the same region that Herod the Great is from. <clears throat> so Jesus does most of his ministry in Galilee. According to the Gospel of John, he also had about a year of work, we think, in the very beginning in Judea, down here in, near Jerusalem. When you add Syria... We have Tyre, we have Sidon. This is literally the extent to which Jesus traveled in his life. This is a small area, folks. This is, 
this is maybe 100 miles north to south. I mean, this is, a very, this is certainly smaller than the region of Iowa in which Jesus traveled and taught during this very short period. The synoptic gospels are which gospels? Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic, meaning same vision. Um, they are written, we think, much later in the first century. We're going to talk about all this next week. We're going to get into how the, the New Testament was written and how the writings of the New Testament happened. But Jesus' work on earth happens here. It's not until about 20 years later that any of the writings that we have today are written. Paul's writings are the first letters written that are in the New Testament, not the Gospels. They're written somewhere between 49 AD and about 64 to 66 AD. <clears throat> Suddenly his letters stop abruptly. His writings stop. No more word is mentioned of him. We think he is in fact martyred, probably under Nero. At this point, the church who thought that the end of the world was coming immediately starts to realize it's not coming as immediately as they thought. And so, and, and a significant effort was undertaken to write down the life of Jesus because, although it was spreading verbally, kind of like you and me, sharing the gospel with people verbally, you know, and telling people about Jesus, those people were starting to die. That first generation of people who had known Jesus were starting to die, and thus the effort was undertaken to say, we better write this stuff down before we're all gone, because we want the truth to be spread throughout the Mediterranean. And again, remember that during this time, writing and literacy are very rare. Only the aristocracy, the rich and the powerful are educated and can read and write. So it was very hard to write. Few people could do it, but an effort was undertaken. We think somewhere around 70 AD, the Gospel of Mark starts to come together. We think other writings or sayings of Jesus start to be circulated in written form. Those synoptics, we think, are compiled, edited, and, and condensed somewhere in the you know, third quarter of the first century. John comes last. John is not like the other, <laughs> the other Gospels. It's very different. And as we'll see today, there's clues to when we think the Gospel of John was written. We think it was written much later than that, at the end of the first century, right around 90 to 95 AD. John has a wholly different view of Jesus, and it's, it's obvious that he's aware of these. We think he's aware of these synoptic Gospels that are being circulated, but he wants to tell a different story, and he wants to make sure you know he was an eyewitness. This is key, okay? Remember, remember something important about the Gospels. They're all anonymous. None of them mention the author by name. Well, you say, wait, John's at the top here. What are you talking about? <laughs> yes, that was added later, much later. Two, three hundred years later, the church fathers finally decided to put the name to the books in which they were almost 100% confident wrote them. This is written, they think, by the Apostle John, the most beloved disciple of Jesus. Mark and Luke are not apostles. And they were people who were trying to compile truth, either from what they had seen um, or what they had heard, into writing um, into writing a gospel. Matthew, we think, Levi, the tax collector, was a disciple of Jesus, and he wrote the book of Matthew. Okay, again, I said a couple of things. We have clues as to when this was written, and that's important. We also have clues that the author here cares that you know this is real, because he saw it firsthand. How important for you guys is eyewitness testimony versus hearsay? <laughs> Pretty important, right? You're going to trust someone who actually was there, versus someone who just heard it from a friend of a friend. We're going to jump right in because 
just to bring you up to speed on John, chapter 19, we had the crucifixion and burial of Jesus. This is a fundamental turning point in the ministry of Jesus, of course. And real quick, before we talk about the resurrection, I want for you to tell me who was the Messiah to a first century Jew. Okay. Who was that Messiah? Military conqueror. A military conqueror. Girl. Wine of David, a Davidic king. Protector. Protector. Yeah. He's going to overthrow Rome. He was going to overthrow the oppressors and the Gentiles. In this case, during the, during, during the Roman Empire, <laughs> during every empire that, that existed since the prophet said a Messiah is coming, they thought that their existing empire, which were, was always horrible, was going to be the one that was overthrown. In the time of Jesus, everyone thought, well, if the Messiah does come, it'll be Rome. And Rome was bad. Make no mistake about it. There's one final piece here that is one of the most important that they saw their Messiah as. It has to do with the nature of who he was. Oh, not God himself. He was a human being, folks. Human, flesh and blood, not God. Not godly. Well, not God, I should say. Who is Jesus? Christ, Jesus of Nazareth? Not any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> no? <laughs> uh, He's not even yeah. Uh, dot, dot, dot. Not the kind he would say, though. Right. This is true. This is true. Protector. Kind of. Overthrow oppressors. I'm going to say this from, <clears throat> from the period in the first century. I'm going, to, I'm going to clarify this. Yes, he was in the line of David, but he was not a king yet. He was not an earthly king. And I want to make that point, too. He was an earthly king. This is someone who the Jews thought was going to take an army raise an army, fight, in this case, Rome, beat Rome through a bloody military conquest. And then that person was going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem as the king, basically, of the world. King of the Jews, yes, and king of, of Israel, but that Israel state nation would rule the earth. <clears throat> and I'll say state of Israel rules entire planet, entire earth. So in the first century, <coughs> none of this happens. Jesus is none of these things. So I always ask the class, what would you have thought if this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, a poor carpenter from Galilee, not even you know a guy who lived in Judea most of his life, showed up and said all the things he said. Can you understand now how there would be a lot of animosity, confusion. Remember we talked about in the Garden of Gethsemane when Judas has finally betrayed Jesus and the guards show up and the first thing that Peter does is he's like, dude, this is on. The war is on. He draws his sword and he is ready and he takes a swing at him, right? 
evidence that even his own disciples thought this was still the plan. As soon as Jesus is arrested and Jesus says, put away your sword, this isn't how it's going to be. People start to realize this isn't the way that we thought this was going. And for the next 24 hours, Jesus is put on trial. He is beaten, he is tortured, and he is executed. All of these things fall apart. All of these things fall apart. What do his disciples do after all of this? Hide. Scatter. Scatter. They hide. They flee, dude. They're like, dude, we are out of here. I don't know what's happening. I am out of here. Except for one. Except for one. Jesus is buried. Jesus is buried. And if you are a secular person or you are a Jew, you think this is it. We got rid of the problem. This guy came and he said a whole bunch of stuff that really upset us. We got him killed. It's Passover. Let's party, right? What happens on the third day? Chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Who would like to read that for me? I can do it. Thank you. Early on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb while it was still dark. When she saw that the large stone had been moved away from the tomb, she ran to Simon Peter and the follower whom Jesus loved. Mary said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other followers started for the tomb. They were both running, but the other follower ran faster than Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down and looked in and saw the stripes of linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter arrived and went into the tomb and saw the strips of linen lying there. He also saw the cloth that had been around Jesus' head, which was folded up and laid in a different place from the strips of linen. Then the other follower, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw and believed. They did not yet understand from the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the followers went back home. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she bent down and looked inside the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white, sitting where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the feet. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? She answered, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have put him. When Mary said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Whom are you looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said to him, Did you take him away, sir? Tell me where you put him, and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary turned towards Jesus, and in Hebrew, Rabbani. This means teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't hold on to me, because I have not yet gone up to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them, I am going back to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and said to the followers, I saw the Lord, and she told them what Jesus had said to her. What? What is happening here? Rewind just a little bit. I want you to think about the other Gospels. And remember, I like to make a very clear statement here about <clears throat> we have four Gospels, okay? We have four Gospels. I use the analogy of 9-11. I promise I'll come up with a better one. I'm going to use 9-11 today again for this reason. On September 11th, 2001, some very bad things happened in the United States, okay? During the events that, that happened in New York and Washington, D.C. and Pennsylvania, <clears throat> a lot of very crazy things happened in a very short amount of time. And then, what happened? If you were, like most of us, you were probably watching the news on that day. Like, trying to what? Why were you watching the news? 
something very shocking happened we wanted to have information yes you wanted to know something crazy has happened reports are coming out and if you know if you were lucky to, or unlucky enough to see the video you were seeing shocking things happening you wanted to understand what the blank was happening right you had no idea what was happening rewind 2000 years you have all of these crazy events these news reports coming out of Judea and Galilee of something crazy is happening on the ground people are being healed of their afflictions the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, people with terrible skin diseases are being healed, people are raising from the dead. And then you hear about this report. Think about if you are a news reporter and, and it's later in the day on Sunday, the day of the empty tomb, you're starting to hear these bits and pieces come out of what is happening here. What is What on the first few days, even the first few days of the empty tomb, how, what are you interpreting? What's happening? Is everything pretty clear about what's going on? Well, the Pharisees are putting out their own story because okay. they okay. don't want people to think that Jesus rose from the dead. So we they, got CNN yes. started early. <laughs> ah, that's so great, bro. That's so great. Then we have okay. different people went to the tomb at different times. Yes. And so came back and reported things. You have different reports on the ground from many eyewitnesses. Does it seem as though all of those eyewitnesses were at the tomb at the exact same time seeing the same thing? You have people coming and going at different times. Coming at different times. There seems to be groups, different groups coming And it seems as though <clears throat> there's a group of, of women first. There's, there's a group of women that is almost certainly the ones who came first on that morning. And all of a sudden, these strange reports start to come. Now, I want you to remember again, although Jesus now, with our 2020 perfect vision looking back, predicted his death and, and resurrection. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They still didn't get it. Right? And why would they? Because that's so weird. That's so weird. That really has no precedence in the Old Testament. If you think about it, there was no great prophet of God that said, I'm going to be martyred for my faith, but don't worry, three days after I die, I'm going to come back from the grave. That never happened. So they didn't have a precedent for it. Well, and he, he was. He didn't say it literally. Yeah. He didn't say, I will raise from the dead in three days. He just said, you know, he was speaking figuratively. Yeah. He was being figurative. So, I mean, yeah. maybe they took him literally. The and he could have been literal, too. Right? We have a very small slice of what he actually said. I personally believe at some point he kind of told them, I'm going to rise from the dead. Slap. You don't, you don't understand. Um, well, the, well, the, yeah, go ahead. The text indicates that Peter and John remembered, oh, yeah, yes. that's right. He did yes. say he was going to raise from the dead. Yes. But I think, I, think, I think it's fair to say that in the beginning, chaos and confusion reigned. But some, as you say, Steve, are starting to understand and remember. Now, I don't think any of this is different than 9-11 in that case. I think as the day went on and more of the facts started to come out, it started to become clear what had happened. Now, we didn't know the whole story, of course. We didn't know... 
about all the flight training and 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 you know Osama bin Laden had you know done this all from Yemen, et cetera, et cetera, or what have you. But we knew kind of, we started to get a better picture, right? We started to put the pieces together. I think as the morning goes on and the chaos, this chaos and confusion, folks. How glorious that you have essentially the eyewitness accounts as they happened in your Gospels. How awesome is that? The later editors of the Gospels did not go back and change things to fit what had happened later. They preserved in history, in the moment, the chaos that had reigned on that morning. I think that's awesome. And I personally feel that attests to the truth and accuracy of the Gospel writers. Because they're not trying to go back later and fix all of the weirdness. It's a little bizarre to me how Mary Magdalene sees a couple angels in the grave and it still doesn't click with yeah. her. She still thinks someone stole Jesus. Yes. Oh, and let's 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 do that. As the reports start to come out, the leadership starts spinning lies immediately. Why? Because I will guarantee you that as soon as Caiaphas, the high priest who had Jesus executed, heard the reports, he's like, son of a blank. <laughs> no, I'm, I, yeah, I'm like, I bet he was like, he threw his cigarette down. He's like, son of a blank. <laughs> they stole his body and they want to make it seem like he rose from the grave. And now think, you know, he's drinking his wine with smoking his, his cigarello saying, dude, we're good. We're in the clear, bros. And he hears that. He's like, this whole thing is about to fall apart. Why? Because he's a smart guy and he knows exactly what's about to happen. He's, he, secularly, he's thinking, they stole his body. They're going to start to claim that he rose from the dead and we are going to have a mushroom cloud well, in our society. Because yeah. he ordered the guards put on the tomb yes. and there were guards that came to him and told him hmm? what had happened. Yeah. So it depends. I mean, he could start being like, nervous that maybe this is you know something bigger than he's let's talk about that bigger than what it could be and, and look I, I have no doubt that eventually Caiaphas with the grave knowing that this was the man who he said he was I have no doubt of that I think in the beginning though he was very scared I think Pontius Pilate is scared why his own men his own you know and has come confusion about was it Romans guarding it, it probably was a mix of Romans and you know he goes you got your own guards go go guard the tomb to the Jews but I have a feeling he probably was like I'm just gonna make sure that there's peace on Passover let's send a couple of our guys over they flee now if you're a guard and you're in charge of guarding something and you flee your post what is usually the punishment for that kind of thing <laughs> what it's not that it's not bad boy. <laughs> like, you did what? You deserted your post? Isn't that the reason they were guarding it, though? I mean, because they, I mean, they were yes. afraid they were going yes. to steal it. This is exactly which, it. Mm -hmm. Which then lends itself back to clearly they mm -hmm. all knew Jesus had said, I will rise. Right. I, I agree 100% with this. They were all, every, all the leadership Everybody was afraid. Knew. Yeah. Now, what. What is going on in the minds of everyone? It's chaos. There's chaos and confusion. The very first thing leadership starts to do is spin a yarn, that's complete lies, to protect themselves and start to cover their, you know, CYA, we'll call it. <clears throat> cover their you-know-whats. But there's still not evidence at this point that Jesus has himself raised from the dead. All they have seen, right, is I've seen an angel, I've seen some strips. Then, 
who sees Jesus alive the very first time? One of his 12 disciples? No, two, who? two guys was walking with him. No, a woman. Mary Magdalene, a woman, sees Jesus for the first time. And not just a woman, a woman who, like the rest of us, has had a very rough life. A sinner, a, a, a woman broken, who came to Jesus for healing. He chooses to appear to a woman. Folks, I cannot overemphasize the fact that in the first century in Judea, what was the status of women in this society? You're generous. You're still generous. Not. Not. Thank you. I think that's, that's fair. They didn't have status. There was no status. You did not, if you were ever to put someone on trial, you would never call a woman as a witness. Um, women didn't own land. They didn't, have, they didn't have a say in political matters. They just were expected to, <clears throat> to do the things you would expect. Get married, have babies, take care of the home, do the drudgery. <clears throat> They, they had no say. <clears throat> Jesus appears to a woman. And I think it is awesome that the gospel writers, who we believe are all Jewish converts to Christianity, chose to keep that in. Why would they do that? Why in heaven's name? If you're trying to convince your fellow Jews that this man Jesus really did rise from the grave, why the heck would you include the story about Mary Magdalene? Eventually, he will, he will appear to men. Eventually, he will appear to many men. Why wouldn't you just skip to that part? Why would you include the part about the woman? Because it's the truth. <laughs> because it's the truth. Because it's the truth, and, and it's not about... Propaganda, folks, this is not, the Gospels are not about propaganda. They're about trying to tell the truth, which is why they sometimes see, seem weird and confusing, why the chaos has been preserved, why a Jew would report that a woman was the first to see Jesus alive. How awesome is that? Well, it kind of goes along with what, how Jesus was. Yeah. Everything he did was totally weird, you know, their way of thinking, you know. Yep, yep. So like, dude, he's like, oh, dude. I'm going to appear to a woman. I'm not appearing to a dude. You can see him talking to God. Watch uh -huh. this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is so good. Like, what? That's so awesome. Yeah. In more than one account, though, yeah. it, um, what I think is interesting is that like, the men who are walking to Emmaus, yeah. and in this case, too, they see Jesus. People see Jesus, but they don't recognize him. What does that tell you? All of a sudden, they recognize him. Why do, what does that tell you? This is fascinating, and I will say that scholars have poured over this for 2,000 years to understand what's going on here. What do you think is happening? I think there's a veil over their eyes. Okay. There's a holy veil. Maybe something, something spiritual is blinding them. What else could be happening here? He might look different. What, is Jesus, what does Jesus have now that he didn't have before? A glow. Okay. What's, it, what's that glow come from? Kind of... <laughs> bath. What kind of body does Jesus have now? What kind of body did he have before he was crucified? And what does he have now? It was important to him that Mary Magdalene not hug him and not ah. embrace him. You can't touch me yet. 
That's interesting, isn't it? There's that report. So something's different about it. Something is different about it. We know from the first century, this idea of the resurrection of the body in the end times, on judgment day, all people will be raised to life for judgment. Not just the righteous, but the wicked too for their judgment. And when you are raised to life, and certainly if you're a believer and you're going to live in paradise with your creator, can you die again? You have an immortal body. This is really important, folks. You will rise from the dead, and if you are a believer in Jesus, you will have an immortal body that can never get sick again, it can never be hurt, you cannot feel pain, and you cannot die. You have just seen the first example of that. Jesus has his immortal body now. You could understand him. That's the voice of Jesus. He, this is good. This is really good. He can, so he speaks. Right. You can understand him. He seems like a human. He looks kind of like a human. He's got some marks like a human. I think, look at it this way, look at it this way. I think it's, it's clear that there is something going on with Jesus that is now different than he was. He is transformed. And I think that's the point I'm trying to make here. Jesus has been transformed. And, and, and when we talk about, you know, the New Testament authors say that Jesus is the firstborn of what? The firstborn of the dead, the firstborn of creation. I think you have seen he is the first now being to come back to life who was human and now have an immortal body. He's the first but not the last. Guess who else gets to do that? Any Christian. Any Christian. So, Elijah and Moses were transfigured on the mountain. And they recognized them. Yeah. This is good. Well, I'm not sure what I'm trying to ask. I like the idea that you saw him. How would I know who Moses is? Would you recognize Moses if you saw him or Elijah? Not without being told. See? I think there's something going on here. And maybe they did. So that lends to... So I'm going to go to your checklist up here. Yeah, how many photos do we have of Jesus, right? I don't know. I'm going to go to your checklist up here. Yep. See, this this is the problem when... We try to define something that's yes, not in our wheelhouse, yes. right? Because Jesus actually checks the, the top box, Messiah to first century Jew. But see, that's not what we tried, that's not what we thought we were trying. We thought that was what we were trying to define, not uh, not just that, right? I mean, so we define things uh, on our terms. Yep. But it's not it's not our definition to give. It's yep. like the creation defining the creation rather than the creator defining the creation. Um, and this is the same type of thing. This is the same thing here, is that I would recognize Elijah, but only if I was told that's mm-hmm. Elijah, right? Mm-hmm. Same, it, it blows the mind, doesn't it? It's like what's going on here, dude? <laughs> that's why I said I don't know what I'm trying to ask, but I and, and think of it this way, too, that we still have the chaos in people's mind that they still haven't really grasped the fact that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. So you see this guy who now has a transformed body. Something spiritual is happening to him. You're not, you don't know what's going on. Now, look, um, I, again, we, we have to put ourselves into their shoes. I think there was a lot of confusion that was happening, but it's starting to become apparent what has happened here. So let's read on, because I think the author wants to make a very clear case here that this was, in fact, Jesus. 
this wasn't a replacement. This wasn't an imposter. This wasn't Joseph of Arimathea that wanted you to think that he was dead and stole his body and then came back dressed like Jesus, right? Because they would have figured that out pretty fast. The, the disciples who were with Jesus knew him. They knew him, okay? And if some, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, something completely different maybe, I don't know, maybe he was, shows up and he's short and, and you know, squat, they'll know that you're not Jesus, dude, okay? You're a different, you're a different guy. Let's read verses 19 to the end, which is 31. Who would like to read that for me? Sure. Thanks. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of Jewish, Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again he said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. I think what you see here, and, and most scholars are pretty convinced, a natural end to the Gospel of John. It was a very nice wrap-up there, kind of explaining why Right at the end, the author kind of explains why he wrote the whole darn thing. Why did the author write this book? He wants you to believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. To believe, believe in Jesus, who he considers the Christ, who is the Messiah, Son of God. And again, remember, that to a Jew in the first century, son of God is, or anointed one is a term reserved for kings, earthly kings. But John wants to make the connection that this is a whole lot more than an earthly king. This is a spiritual, biological son of the living God. What else does the author want to do here? Like give truth. You know, maybe there was, um, you know, confusion and, and uncertainty. Or so set the record straight. This is exactly it. He wants to clarify, set the record. I couldn't say it better. Set the record straight is exactly it. So, of course, since I think that, you're right. Um, <laughs> wants to set the record straight. Folks, now I want you to ask yourself, if someone who, and, and what else does he say he is here? The, does the author claim to be an eyewitness here? Yes. Yeah. Doesn't name himself. <laughs> right, exactly. 
If, if you are trying to set the record straight, what does that tell you about the record? It's been a little crooked. Record ain't good. Folks, I think you can very easily deduce that as time went on, and remember at this point we think John is the last apostle alive who knew Jesus directly. He may be the last person alive who ever saw Jesus. It's possible. The stories of Jesus, what happens to stories over time? How big was that fish, James? Just like fish, they get long. Right? And it's very, very interesting here. That we're going to talk about this next week. Who is the disciple who is called out right at the Look, make no mistake about it. The author refers to um, disciples, both here and in the next chapter, sometimes very anonymously. And there were two other disciples. And there were two other apostles. Here, he calls someone out very specifically. Who is that? Okay. He calls out this guy, Thomas, who, look, <laughs> Thomas the twin, Thomas Didymus. Um, we haven't really heard a whole lot of Thomas up till now. Okay. At the very end, he just throws this guy out and says, this Thomas guy didn't believe him. There is something else going on in the first century I haven't talked to you about, is the circulation, and we'll talk about this a little more next week, of what we call sayings gospels. And I think, I think sayings gospels is a little bit of a stretch too. You have, remember, a lot of writings start to be written about Jesus towards the end of the first century. Some of them seem to be very accurate in the portrayal of who Jesus was. There was a group or cluster of sayings that was circulated very early called the Gospel of, guess who? Someone wrote a list of sayings that they attributed to Thomas, probably the Thomas the Apostle they're attributing this to, that says some really wacky stuff about Jesus. Really wacky stuff. It comes to be called Gnosticism. And I'm not going to talk about what Gnosticism is today, but suffice it to say, it's a whole lot of crazy stuff about who Jesus was, about who he wasn't. According to Gnostics, according to the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus was not God himself. Jesus never came back in a physical body. Jesus' physical body was always evil. And thus, the, the, the idea of Jesus is a spiritual one. Jesus, was, Jesus himself was never on earth as a physical, living, human, breathing person. All these lies are starting to circulate. I think, and of course that must be right, and a lot of scholars say, the author of John is doing this on purpose. He is trying to refute something that is starting to circulate. Remember, even Paul, back in the 50s and 60s, he makes references to, to unauthoritative wicked gospels that are circulating, stories of Jesus that are not true. We know that even here, lies are starting to be spread about who Jesus was. Why would people spread lies about Jesus? Well, they usually probably would have their own interest in mind. It could be a, a power trip on their part to come up with their own kind of angle toward this religion mm-hmm. and Jesus concept yep. completely divert everyone. The worst thing is, is that some of that stuff could even be coming from inside, right? It's not even outside. No, that's usually where it comes from the worst part, well, right? sure. I mean, because uh, Ananias and Sapphira had something to gain, right? I mean, clearly they did. I think you see a very clear effort here that the, the, the gospel writer is trying to say, 
The whole reason I'm 95 years old and I'm doing this, <laughs> it ain't easy, folks. I am probably on a desert island called Patmos in the middle of the Aegean that sucks. It has no native water supply. The Romans here are super jerks. My friends, I can't really see them. Why, why should I even go about doing this? Why should I go about it? And whether he wrote it himself or he had a scribe that he dictated it to, it's not important. I think that the, the words from this came from this man himself. He's like, dude, I gotta, I gotta set the record straight. Because why? A lot of the synoptic gospels probably already getting close to their final form here. Now you've got these other gospels coming out. And he's like, hold it. My last act <laughs> is gonna be to set this record straight. What do you, what do you guys do? So why do you think that, so if he's on this island, what made him think, I mean, in your mind, what made him think that if I write this, that it's even going to get out? I mean, how, how why should I, I mean, clearly, yeah. he had nothing else to do, but. I, if, yeah. I think, um, I always hold to the fact that the scriptures were God breathed. Hmm? I think he knew. I think he knew what needed to happen. I think he knew, you know, just as much as Jesus knew what, what his end was going to be. I think he knew that this was needed and that it would it would carry on after him and that the record had to be set straight. I'm going to take the two approaches and say, if you're asking physically how did the letter get out, keep in mind that house arrest under the Romans sometimes was very free. If you remember, Paul himself was under house arrest, and yet he had friends coming and going. He had his own house that he could rent. It was more like home confinement, but it wasn't like he was in the dungeon of a prison, you know, uh, cut off from the world. Spiritually, <laughs> how many years later does a Gentile in the New World, we have his writing. It worked. It worked. I have to believe that God wanted him to write this and probably told him you should write this because we need truth. What other questions or comments do you have? I think it's, I never really thought of this before, but Thomas said, like, what is in the, okay, so, <laughs> well, we, we don't think that any of the disciples were at the cross except for John. Now, Thomas knows that he obviously he would know about the nails in the hand, mm -hmm. but he says until I put the hand, you know, my hands in the nail marks, and his, and his finger or his hand into his side. So he knew he was stabbed in the side, but he wasn't mm -hmm. actually there. So like, he actually did believe at least the apostles' account of <laughs> what happened to Jesus on the cross, mm -hmm. but he doesn't believe their account of the resurrection. It's one way to so, look at it. I mean, you, you could also look at it, and I think, that's, I think that's a fair way to look at it, I will say. Um, another thing to keep in mind is that I really do think a lot of the apostles were there. They were hiding and watching this all go down. Remember, Golgotha, the hill, you can see that for miles. Why did they pick Golgotha as an execution spot? Because you could see the executed people for miles around. I have to believe, although it only records that John was at the cross, Probably some of them were like watching from afar, hiding. Um, but I also believe that this is a good point. He took their word for some of it. And this is another really good point that I want to point out here. And it, and it, it begs the, the question of why do we have four Gospels instead of one? Right here you have evidence that not all of Jesus' disciples were together all the time. 
In fact, I think it would be very unusual if many of them were together for the whole three years. In fact, we know they weren't. Um, <clears throat> John records that at, at some time in the beginning of Jesus' gospel, he calls some of the disciples away who were part of John the Baptist's group, and they start a mission, but they seem to go back to their normal lives after, after about a year. And then they get called back. So it seems as though none of the disciples were with Jesus 24-7 for three years. He was married. Yep. He had a family, dude. I got a wife, probably kids. Like, I can't be on the road all the time. I could be, but my wife will kill me, right? <laughs> but I like this. I like the fact that, there's, that it implies some level of trust. There's some level of trust among them because they had to trust each other, but there's also some level of, how do I say this, maybe skepticism. Well, I guess, you know, they were all, like, they were the 12, yep. and then, you know, just three days ago, Judas <laughs> uh, yeah. just betrayed him. So they're like, yes. well, is someone else going to betray us? I don't know. You better believe they're all looking around like, well, who's they next? Well, they were all like, am I? The one, when Jesus said, what if he's going to betray me? They're all like, is it me? Is it me? So, I mean, they're not, like... I think some of it comes down to their human nature. I mean, we know the truth. We have the Bible in front of us. And how often do we deny the truth if it doesn't fit with our agenda or whatever yep. we're wanting we're wanting at that point in our life? I think even back then, I mean, they were still human and they were going to do the same thing. Yep. You know, if they were getting recognition, if they were getting, you know, if something was better for them, if this part of the truth was ignored, then... Or if it seemed more believable and they thought more people would listen to him even. Right. Right, right. Totally agree. So I mentioned that this seemed to have been a natural end to the original gospel. I think most people are pretty certain this, there, there is some natural ending here. The thing is, though, all of the ancient manuscripts we have have John 21 in them. And the language of John 21 is similar to the rest of, of the Gospel of John. Some deductions that people have made from this is that it may have been that John completed an initial draft of his gospel. It either started to circulate or he had some, you know, some people respond. Personally, I, I feel, and this is probably completely wrong, that some people took a look at this and said, yeah, but if all of this miraculous stuff happened after, after Jesus arose, why don't you tell us about it? It seems as though, it seems, the, the original author went back and added this. So in some cases, you can make a case that with the Gospels, other people who are not the original authors came back and redacted that text. There's, there's definite evidence for that. But here, I think it's pretty clear the author of John, in fact, did add on to his original work. Let's read that, because it's interesting. It's very interesting. Chapter 21, and we'll just get through that because we're running out of time. Let's do 1 to 25. We'll just do the whole thing, finish that out. Who'd like to do that for me? Thank you. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, 
children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for, for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although they were, there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So, saying, so the saying spread ab uh, abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Thoughts, reactions? Was there, was there one of the saying gospels that was like, that like talked about the situation differently? Is that? They talked, the, the, the specific thing that I think the sayings gospels are saying is that Jesus was not a physical, earthly human oh, so he that suffered for real on the cross and actually died. Okay. That it was just some spirit being that might have inhabited a human on earth that was not Christ. And 
left that body before that body died. And then when these people are seeing this post-resurrection, they're seeing a spirit, not a physical body. That seems to be what this author is trying to review, plus a lot of other things, of course. There's a lot going on in this. I love this yeah. chapter. <clears throat> um, you know, number one, it gets back to they didn't recognize Jesus. He was in yeah. a different form or some sort of, he looked different. And it took John to figure out, hey, yep. that's the Lord over there yep. telling us to do this. Yep. It's funny that Jesus does the same thing that he did back in, like, I think it's Mark 5 or something around there, where. You know, they're trying to catch fish all night, and Jesus says, oh, just go throw it on the other side of the boat. And yeah. they're like, we fish all the time. He repeats the same thing. And so like, it's like John recognized, oh, he said throw it on the other side. Oh, it must be Jesus, because Jesus is the only one that has us do these weird things. That and they get to the shore, and he's already got breakfast made for him. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the fish already. He's like, why did he drive this net in? So good, dude. It's so good. two things that stick out to me. So in the first story, though, and that's break. They start breaking. Ah, okay. They don't break uh-huh. in this one. Ah. Uh, so no. Oh. And, the, and the second one is, is that they get there, and he's already got breakfast game. But it's like this, um, <coughs> you guys, there's, let's come together. In fact, you bring your fish. It's like, I mean, why, why would you have had him bring their fish? He already had it. And yet, here's this offering. It's like, hey, it's okay. We're all good. Why'd they count them? Hundred and fifty-three. This is a very specific number. Yeah. We count our fish. We count our fish. It's not one of those weird biblical numbers where you think, okay, is this real? Well, you see, one hundred and fifty-three is twelve times twelve plus seven minus three. No, I don't know. Well, they fish so they can sell, so they have to know how many they have. Why is the author putting a very specific number in here? What is he trying to communicate to you? That it's not getting bigger as the time goes. Yes. This is a fish story. This is a fish story. That stays the same. <laughs> That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Well, and it's a, it's a pretty substantial number of, I mean, they said very large fish, mm-hmm. and it, 153 is, a, lot, is a lot of fish. Dude, I've picked, like, you see the salmon and the strum, like, I can't carry 153 <laughs> of those. I don't know, dude. I think some of it is, if you, if you can wrap your brain around the mm-hmm. number, you know, you would be in awe of the amount. Yeah. It's not just like a few. That's, that's fair. Sea of Peter yep. again, like being Let's talk about that. He Let's jumps out of the boat with his coat on. I love it. Then he goes so and jumps good. back into the boat and helps to pull it out. I like, love it's him. Just... I probably identify with Peter. Kind of impulsive, hothead, loud. <laughs> He's probably pretty excited at this point. I mean, jumps in, swims 100 yards. This guy. <laughs> with his. He's trying to make up for the fact that he lost the race with John to the tomb. I'm just saying, he's, you know, I've been in shape, John. That's so funny that John put that in there. Like, John wants you to know. Yeah. And I got their proof. Yeah. Well, they spent their whole life competing. I mean, it's like thank you. This is it. It's like they're on a team, this is it. but they're all competing for the starting lineup. Like, it's mm-hmm. the greatest. Lots of passive aggressiveness. Yeah, Who's going to sit at your side on your throne? Is it me? Yep. How many times did uh, Peter deny Jesus? That's a good, I wanted to bring that up. You, you know. How many times did he now affirm Jesus? Yeah. Oh. And in the, in the footnotes, it references the Greek 
and there was a change in the words Jesus used for love. You know, he used agape, agape, phileo. Mm-hmm. You know, do you love me? Mm-hmm. Do you really love me? Mm-hmm. Are you even my friend? Let's talk about that real quick. Look, thank you. I haven't, we haven't talked about Greek all day. <laughs> uh, uh, I was feeling just a little, something was missing. Something was missing. Uh, phileo. Um, <clears throat> look. A lot is made about what love means in Greek. The truth is, to a certain extent, it tends to mean the same thing as in English. Agape means love. And it is used a lot of different ways. It can mean friendship. It can mean I love someone, uh, maybe like your wife uh, or children. It kind of is that general term for love. Phileo, <laughs> phileo is one of those things that is definitely more endearing. And it's kind of funny because <clears throat> If you're talking about your family, you never use phileo. Um, if you talk about your wife, you don't talk about your loved ones. You talk about your gune, your woman. If you talk about your husband, you don't talk about your, your uh, philos. You talk about your, uh, your anair, your man. Um, you only talk about phileo with your friends, your philos. Okay, but, but again, I divert here. Yes, there is something that implies that there's something deeper here. <clears throat> this is more general. This is a deeper meaning. Um, philos, Philadelphia, uh, you know, um, city of, of, of love of brothers. That's exactly, Adelphos, brothers, uh, philos, love, a love of brothers. Um, brothers that can mean a friendship. These were, these were brothers who are not physically related, biologically, they loved each other. And I love this, that the, what the author is getting at here, and probably is not subtle, he's showing that, that Peter has had a change. And look, I am not going to lie to you, I'm sure Peter died inside a little bit. When that crow, when that chicken crowed, <laughs> rooster crowed, he, he wept. He wept. Dacruo. It's, it's the Greek for he, he shed tears like he bawled like a baby. Right? You have to believe he, was, he, he really was hurt by that. This is, I think Jesus is doing this for a reason. I think Jesus is like, bro, I know you love me, and I, and I want you to know that I know you love me. But then, like, right after that, yeah. he lets him know, yeah, you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I love this. Yeah, and you're going to die. Um, Didn't Jesus yeah. tell Peter that Satan wanted to sift him like sand? I think Satan. I think I think Satan's going to sift all of us like sand. And you know. Love is an action. It's not a feeling. To the authors of the of the New Testament, love is an action. And Show what's he me telling love. To do? Say it again. What's he telling him to do? Feed my sheep. I love this. You know, Peter, you're going to be in charge yep. of this church. Yep. I kind of feel like maybe that's what John is doing here too, is just kind of letting people... Oh, this is a really good one. I'm glad you brought this up. We're, we're behind Peter. Uh, I mean, Jesus said it was... Jesus brought him back, and we're... That's, that's a good enough definition for us. The Gnostics, ref, the Gnostics refused to accept Peter as the head of the church. I, I forgot to bring... The, thank you for reminding me. They rejected the fact that, so why did they do that? Because there was an organization and Peter was at its head and they didn't want to follow the rules. So the easiest way for them not to follow the rules is to say, well, that guy's not the right one who should be in charge. And the Gnostics came up with all kinds of people who should have been, Thomas, John, um, 
Anyone but Peter. Because Peter, as the head of the church, who is making the rules for how things are functioning, is deciding what truth is. And, he, and, and he's, you know, it's kind of like the leader of the opposition party. If you, can, if you can discredit that person, then the whole party is kind of, you can do whatever you want and say whatever you want. I think it's a way to get at Peter. I think the author is here saying, no, it is Peter. Peter is in charge. The church organization that we have that is putting together the right gospels is the, quote, true and right church. And the Gnostic church that's growing is the wrong church. Well, the, the, again, it goes back to why is Peter in charge? Not yeah. because we say so. Thank you. Jesus Thank says you. So. Thank you. And it's got nothing to do with us. Even if we didn't like it, we're still referring to that. And again, it goes back to this oh. is the problem when we lean on our own understanding oh. of how things work rather than, you know what? I defer to this. And now, Dude, you can hate it all you want. Out. It's the truth. He's in charge. I totally agree with you. Um, <clears throat> I love that Peter is shown so like so realistically. <laughs> I do, I mean? yes. Because like he just, you know, he just tells Jesus he loves him three times, and Jesus is like, "Yeah, you're gonna die for me." Like, and then he's like, "Well, what about John? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't he gonna die too?" So true. I, what about that guy? <laughs> How awesome is it that the gospel writers left that in? He's a human. Folks. He loses <laughs> foot races and he... <laughs> Look, if I was going to make this stuff up, the last thing I would do is include all these things that show how, how human the founders of my religion are. Joseph Smith, okay, like I'm just going to bring an example. Joseph Smith never did anything wrong, okay? Um, and, and you know, name. You know, don't mean to call out other religions here, but name your name your head of another religion that's not Christianity. They, those people never made a mistake. They were perfect. Their followers were perfect. And when they weren't perfect, God smited them, right, to prove that they should have been perfect. The authors of the New Testament. Paul is one of the most broken people you will ever meet, and he admits that. I was a broken man who persecuted the church. I was it's wrong. Not just the New Testament. Yeah. All through the Old Thank Testament, you. every Thank leader you. that was named had major weaknesses and flaws. Thank you. If you're making this stuff up, folks, you didn't you don't do that stuff. You get it all you get rid of that. Well, I think the problem is that it's not relatable. I mean no no, no human other than Jesus lived a without sin. To pretend like you're no. perfect proves that it's not relatable, it's not real. Hmm? Because it something's being hidden or, or yeah. not told. This has been quite a whirlwind. Gospel of John, dude. What else? Any final thoughts? No, I just love the last verse. It's just very, it sounds very sweet. Yeah. Like it's just kind of a very, you know? Yeah. It's just like, it's like he's wistful. Like, just thinking, I just suppose <laughs> that the world couldn't hold the ball, you know? I don't know. To me, that's almost the reason why he added the last chapter. I like this. It's like, I was getting all these these rumors of, okay, mm -hmm. why, what did Jesus really do? What, you know, what's yeah. been going on? Tell us some more miracles. If we wrote them all down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world that could contain them. I love this. I love this. This is, this is it. And he says, what do you see here? What do you see, the author? This is very rare in the Gospels. The very last verse says what? Who supposes that the whole world wouldn't have enough books? I. Folks, this is as rare as it comes. A Gospel writer is referring to himself in the first person, I wouldn't suppose. This is the most personal letter you can possibly imagine. 
this is awesome. This is a personal letter. And he, like in 24, he tells you, the one who is telling these things and who has now written them down, we know that what he says is true. Like yeah. he's saying, I'm the one. He's part of a community, and you'll see in the, the, the verse before it, he uses the we, saying, it's not just me. This is important for this author, too. This is a community of believers writing truth with Peter as our leader of our church organization. We are united in fellowship, and I hope that you will believe all of this. Cue the bursting into tears. <coughs> Thank you for joining us. This has been an awesome journey. We're going to pick up next week with going back to Matthew and Luke, the sayings gospel, putative sayings gospel that may have circulated in the years before the gospels we have in their current form were written down. So please join us next week.